ready to begin. What year is this? The year is 2020, and this is Beyond Sin. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 241. And uh, later in the program, or in the middle of the program, I'm going to be doing the, uh, or Julian, a.k.a. Neon Fox, is going to be doing the high five. But joining me for the rest of the program today is my lovely guest co-host, Michael Oakley. Third time. This is my third time here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Well, you we did a we did a unique thing when you were on last time where we sort of recorded a back to back episode and I like staggered the release. Yeah, I suppose we should probably like keep that for that's usually for like the ten year anniversary type thing. You know, you don't really tell people it too soon so they don't think we're a total fucking fraud. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they already know I'm a fraud. Recording two interviews in the same day. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Have you ever done that before? No, that's the only time. I just remember I had brought like the world's largest coffee with me for that that afternoon to keep me going. Yeah, and you brought some donuts, and then we recorded that video too. That was a that was a big day. Mm. <coughs> wow, hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a hardcore two and a half hours. <laughs> Videos and interviews, donuts, <laughs> donuts, vocal zones. Yeah, that's right. You got in, to enjoy the world of vocal zones. Anyway. Look, the point is, uh, you're going to be joining me for the whole show. Now, you have a single that's just come out. Mm. And actually, I'm going to play it right fucking now. Okay. You were kind enough to send it to me a few weeks ago, and it's a really good song, and uh, people should enjoy it. And then maybe we'll listen, and then you can talk about it, because there's some fun collaborations in there as well. Mm. Yep. Oh, God. It just hit you what show you were on. It's like, oh, yes, this fucking nonsense. Never work with animals or children. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, let's listen. This is uh, Michael Oakley's new single. This is Queen of Hearts by Michael Oakley.
And that was Michael Oakley with the track Queen of Hearts. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. And I got to say a big shout out to returning patron Jose Arbello. Jose Arbello is a cool guy. And he has just donated the, the most satanic number of all. 66.6. And of course, uh, he was a patron before. He sent me a nice message yesterday, which... Normally I read these, but it was like a private conversation. I feel like I probably shouldn't uh, disclose, but it was very kind of him. And uh, I appreciate his support. So, Jose Arbello, you are a cool guy. And I'm back here with Michael Oakley. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) It's always the same. It's always the same. Woo! Woo! Oh my God! Oh my God! Hi, Mom! So... (laughs) So, um, yeah, so talk to me about this track here, because I hear I hear some voices of some people I recognize in there, yep. besides you. Ollie Ride, of course, uh, is probably the most obvious one. Um, he is singing on that, and he wrote the track with me as well. Uh, you also can hear our dear friend, fellow Canadian, Haley Stewart, Mecca Michael. So, when you co-write, because, I mean, I've talked to Ollie about this as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the fact that you guys sort of help each other out on things. I know you were, like, producing his thing, and he co-writes with you and stuff. Mm. When you say you co-write a track, mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean? Like, are you guys literally going, like, amending lyrics, or is it music? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, it can be both. I, I usually lean heavily on Ollie for lyrics. Um, you know, we, we have this way of, of writing with me where I sit on Skype, we chat for a while it's like a therapy session, I sort of tell him what the story is and I give him any lyrics that I have and he goes away and thinks about it and then basically puts it all together in such a way and adds his own thing to it which basically it tells the story essentially because as far as I'm concerned he's the best writer and like songwriter in the scene so you know when you have somebody like that that you're able to have the fortune to work with you know you you make the best of it <laughs> you know yeah. so um but he's also been good at making suggestions for structure changes in the song you know sometimes when you're working on a track it can creep up to like five minutes long and you know there's long sections that maybe could be cut down a little bit so there's a little bit of that as well and just general suggestions for for things but yeah i mean i don't know a co-write is you know somebody I guess makes a significant contribution to it doesn't it it's one of those sort of things I'm usually pretty good with coming up with titles for songs and I had I had gave him the title of the song he liked that you know I had an idea of what the song was about as well and what, what I wanted to say and it kind of went from there but yeah it's kind of funny how I get ideas but we've got a really great synergy in how we work together you know it's uh, served us so far pretty well <laughs> yeah well it's, it's nice to have that sort of relationship with people because I find um, for me personally or you know like I have friends who went to film school and people who are writers and stuff and whenever I've brainstormed with people mm. like one of my skills is sort of embellishing and elaborating on people's concepts so like I'm not always the guy that like comes up with the initial thing mm-hmm. but like if someone brings me the thing and goes like okay like it's but a really really rough outline then I can start like rolling with uh, with ideas and stuff mm-hmm. and I guess it's sort of like the same way with songwriting where you know like 
sometimes you just need that initial kick of like, I have a title, I've got a baseline, and then someone can take that and go, oh, what about this? What about this? You know? It definitely is something where it's like you say there, you know, you need something to work with in the beginning in order to be able to embellish it. And I definitely think that from when myself and Ollie are working together, the times when we're not so productive is usually when I don't have a sense of the idea in the beginning so the the, the, the ideas that really take off are, are usually when I kind of have a sense of what I'm trying to say and, and little things like having a working title for the song or a concept and just a general look this is what the song's about this is what I'm trying to say you know here's some lines of what I've been talking about and the reason for that is this part of the story I want to make sure is in there that's a framework you know it's one of those things where if someone came to you and say hey man let's tell a story and you're like okay cool Uh, what's the story about well I don't know I mean you know I was hoping maybe maybe you could come up with it (laughs) it's just like all right okay I see where this is going you want me to write a fucking story for you so you know you know what I mean though it's kind of like there's not much of a collaboration there whereas you have to be able to like have someone with a starting idea to bounce off of that idea and even if you end up in Mexico you know like you've went as far as far can be and and the, the original idea is a million miles off from where you end up you still need that starting block in order to start making some sort of direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I want to keep talking, but I want to listen to some music too, man. All right. I got a cool track here from Isidore from his uh, album Red Gem, and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the Kings of the Pattersons, Robert D. Bishop, Chris Dance, and Mike Shima. You guys are pretty fucking cool guys. All right, and now uh, you're going to enjoy this track by Isidore. This is Memories of Arrakis.
That was Memories of Arrakis by Isidore from the album Red Gem. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, we mentioned it before, Jose Arbello. Cool guy, Jose Arbello. And of course, Mr. Jacob Wick, uh, my favorite civil engineer. It was a civil engineer, right? Yeah. Sorry, my brain is starting to melt in fucking quarantine. And, uh, and of course, City Hunter. City Hunter is also an amazing guy. And I am back here with Michael Oakley talking about songwriting and all that stuff. Mm, so it was fun. I wanted you to do the woo. <laughs> hey, you'll get another woo, but it's going to be when you don't expect it. <laughs> so then what did, um, did Haley just come in at the end and just got her to do like these sort of background things? So like what was going on? Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've actually wanted to do something with Haley for a while and I love Haley's voice. I think she has this like, she's got this really kind of ethereal quality to her voice. She sometimes has a slight haunting ghostly texture sometimes to her voice and I, I wanted her to do that on this track because Queen of Hearts the style of it in my mind I was kind of imagining you know like I, I have these weird like influences that come in and I'm trying to sort of take influences and, and make them in a new way so when I was growing up I was listening to stuff like Hadaway and uh, you know Rhythm of the Night and stuff like that you know like Eurodance type music and mm-hmm. they always had those kind of female vocals and the kind of diva shouts so obviously the, like the parts where Ollie does the kind of big diva shouts that are the kind of like call and response of, of, of some of the lines in the chorus Pet Shop Boys used to do that as well quite a lot but there, there was always these female vocals that were layered up as well and, and then at the very end when Haley does the kind of like the Queen of Hearts refrain where she just keeps on saying that that line she came up with that yeah I just have wanted to work with Haley for a while you know I'm, I'm hoping that we can do more stuff actually if she can be our <laughs> I'm trying to think of all those songs I listened to in that period of time too, like the early '90s. Mm. I always go off about how I didn't like a lot of the, you know, that sort of like pop rock stuff in the '90s. Uh-huh. I've been analyzing it further, and I think it's just because they didn't have fucking synths. Like you know, you listen to all these songs where it's just guys and guitars playing like these fucking mm-hmm. all that stuff that drives me nuts. You know, fucking closing time and all those things. Oh yeah, you know, just that era of music where it's just guys with guitars. And, if, and I'm listening to the songs because my wife was listening to this, um, you know, '90s radio because she likes '90s. Mm. I was like, oh, that's what's pissed me off about all these stupid songs. It's just fucking guitars and like drums, and there's no synths. And around that time, I was listening to the same kind of shit. Like we had these dance mixes in Toronto. And or Canada, there, there's these things that Much Music put out called Dance Mix 92, Dance Mix 93 every year. Yeah. And it was all that kind of stuff. Fucking yeah, yeah. Be my lover, wanna be my lover. Yeah. This is the rhythm of the night. I love that track. <laughs> I love that track. I tell you, do you know what the funny thing is, though? And probably one of the fascinations with that for me in terms of trying to pull some of that influence into my own music is a lot of that music when you listen to it now the production on those records are fucking terrible mm-hmm. like they're they're really really <laughs> they're really bad 
but they have really great hooks and really cool like melodic parts in there mm-hmm. honestly those those types of tracks are a precursor to trance music that was the stage before trance it was stuff like Hadaway stuff like Corona Rhythm of the Night and then you get things like Sash did you, I don't know, did you guys get Sash over here yeah. Ecuador uh, Encore and Foie um, Robert Miles Children all that music was that stage just before and that's the period that I'm kind of looking at right now um, and been working with uh, a little bit of that sound in my own music yeah well yeah because it's all about the fucking hook because when i think about the the dance music i was listening to especially like the dance music mm-hmm. again i'm not really great with musical terms but it, it has sort of like a tinny sound you know like when like a lot of 80s music i love is fat like it's got these fat bass like oh, yeah, it's yeah. hard to explain but i just i think of the word fat and when i think of dance music i listened to in the 90s i think of cds and i remember when cds were like first coming out mm-hmm. and they kind of just had i say the word tinny but it was almost like the, like they had the high range and everything was crisp but wasn't fat like when I was listening to stuff on tape and um, that's what I think of but at the same time the songs were super catchy I can tell you exactly why that was it's because synthesizers were evolving from that period in the early 80s up until you know the kind of mid to late 90s synthesizers in the 80s were these gorgeous analog synthesizers and that's that's why because it's all analog circuitry and and that's where that warmth comes from from those those sounds and also some of the production techniques but when you get further on into the late 80s and the early 90s at that point analog synthesizers went out of fashion and they were replaced by digital synthesizers and sample based workstations and a lot of those sounds are really thin, brittle sounding. They're cold. They're not the nicest of sounds when used on their own. But if you were to use those sounds mixed with analog sounds, then you get a nice contrast with those things. I, I kind of work with that in my my music now. I like to use a, a combination of analog and digital sounding stuff because they work well together, but too much digital, it just sounds flat and kind of boring. And it's got that sort of, I guess what you would call the cd generation of music everything's just very kind of like yeah yeah you know the first tape i ever bought was two unlimited mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah that was my first tape but anyway look i went <laughs> that was, i need to go play a song and i'm like i'll just say some random useless fact that'll fucking just suck the air out of this conversation i want to <laughs> i want to listen uh to this track by circuit three and this is a cool one and it's uh brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters in the 2666 club there's hugh hefna and lucas sabios you guys are pretty cool people and this is Circuit 3 from the album The Price of Nothing and the Value of Everything. This is Dirty Little Secret. Woo!
And that was Dirty Little Secret by Circuit 3. And remember, if you like any of the tunes that you listen to on the show, um, I post all the links to the artists I feature on the show in the More Info section on SoundCloud. And whenever I post the shows on Facebook and Twitter, um, I always post links to the artists so you can uh, follow them. That is uh, what you should do when you listen to cool music. And uh, that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Clint Dowling, the king of the $25 donors. And then there's uh, Jimmy the Hutt and Alex Seligson. You guys are pretty cool. And uh, I'm back here. Uh, Michael Oakley is joining me as a co-host this week. What? Yeah. <laughs> Whoop. So anyway, yeah, so Two Unlimited. I, I was I was big into that. That was my first tape. Mm. My first CD was Depeche Mode, uh, Music for the Masses. Mm, yeah. Technically, I didn't buy it in order of... Yeah, it was when I was first buying CDs, and I think I was buying like used ones. And so, before the internet, before Napster, when I would just go to music stores and if there was like a used section, then see if there's any Depeche Mode for cheap. And so, that was like the the first one I Mm -hmm. bought. Absolutely. I used to have that as well. I used to have those shops, and you would go in and it would be like, oh, this is cool, five bucks for like a CD and stuff like that. Yeah. I used to love those shops, and you used to get DVDs as well, VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big thing. I know when I when I got my first like job job living on my own and like just going to those uh, secondhand shops and getting VHS tapes and stuff. DVDs were out, but I think we didn't have a player yet. It wasn't until my one roommate bought a PlayStation 2 and then all of a sudden it was like, we have a DVD player now, you know, it was like such a big deal. But you know, it was that was that period. I mean, I guess, you know, we come from that same generation of VHS tapes at that point in like charity shops and things like that where you'd be like, oh, there's Scarface for like one buck. You know, there's, there's the whole Godfather trilogy for like £2.50. You know, it's just like... I'll buy that you know you're just getting all these classic amazing movies and you'd get the chance to watch them whereas the DVDs were like 15 pounds to buy you know they were so expensive I don't know I love the charm of getting videotapes because they always had those amazing opening titles you know and you put it on it was like the touchstone pictures presents yeah. it was that kind of that's that's that stuff yeah that one that one is um really nostalgic for me the other one I watched uh, the new Child's Play movie the other day yeah and they play the old Orion logo before it starts uh, and I was like yeah that's cute yeah <laughs> cause like I, I love that fucking thing Viacom <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Viacom at the end of did Fresh Prince or America's Funniest Home Videos or something where it would end and like did little 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 Viacom Another one um, on a bunch of cartoons um, I really liked were, I think the distribution company was Deke, D-I-C. <laughs> and so whenever it would end and it does that thing where it, show, it goes through like the kid's bedroom out into the stars and then Deke. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it always used to make me laugh just because it looked like it says dick. And so like, I used to love that one. Also, you know, sometimes as well, you would get like all these ridiculous like adverts for movies that you would never watch, but you just, you're like, you're, you're waiting for the movie and you have to fast forward it. But sometimes you would have these like, what the hell movie is that? It's yeah. <laughs> just like fucking stupid trailers. Snake Eater 3. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was always these weird like B action movies where like you're getting to your movie that's good and then all of a sudden they're showing you this shit with like Michael Dudikoff is fucking uh-huh. you know, like... <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> all these like actors you've never heard of before <laughs> but, I, but that was a good time because you had like all these amazing classic generation movies on VHS that were so cheap you'd walk away with like 10 movies for 10 bucks it was just like amazing okay I'll watch Fight Club tonight followed by Robocop I've got that as well And what frustrated me was two of my favourite films for some reason were double VHS's Heat and Scarface. Yeah. So it made Scarface feel more epic because it was like a double VHS set. Dude, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Dude, literally, you see right now, right? Wait for this. Right here. That is the, <laughs> that, that is the double Scarface VHS. I, I'm actually holding that right now. Dude, tape two is like 40 minutes. Yeah, hang on, let me see. Scarface part one, two hours, 50 minutes. Tape two, it doesn't tell me how long it is, but it does let I can see the tape is like considerably shorter than the other videotape. By the time Lord of the Rings came out on VHS, they just put more tape in and so they managed to make a three hour movie fit on one tape. Mm. And then meanwhile, I've got Heat, which is two hours and 40 minutes and like the same with Scarface, like they're not even three hour movies, like they're short of three hours. Mm-hmm. But they the way that they divided it up wasn't even. So like Scarface, like the whole thing, and then you put in tape two, and it's just like there's fucking people invading his house at the end. Like that's like what tape two is. <laughs> Pretty much the, the best bit. I yeah. tell you what I didn't know, I, I found out not so long ago was Steven Spielberg was on the movie set at that point where they were filming that scene. And see if you watch, there's a moment where the camera angle where they're running in you see it from like on the ground like from foot level where you see their feet running in and you can see it from that level. that was Steven Spielberg who suggested that and that's my favourite shot of the movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, the most ma- it's the most magical moment in the yeah. movie <laughs> Well, look, let's keep uh, waxing nostalgic here. But first, I want to uh, listen to some more music. So there's a this is a pretty intense one. You know, Volta always puts out some really crazy um, music with a lot of energy. This is from his album Swarm. And uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's A Star Apart, Restless Nights, Honeybeard, and Tim Carlton. And this is Volta with Rescue Team Deployed.
And that was Rescue Team Deployed by Volta. And that's a kick-ass song that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Johnny Five, Kempson, Martin Larby, and Gregorio Franco. You guys are all right. In my book. And, um... I do have a fucking Patreon thing I got to talk to you guys about, but we'll we'll do it later. In the meantime, uh, it's not a very nice tease because it's not a <laughs> it's an annoying thing because they're going to be charging tax. But anyways, I'm back here with Michael Oakley, mm-hmm. and we are just uh, reminiscing about VHS and stuff, just having a good time and talking about Scarface fan stories, uh, lore, mythology, behind the scenes stuff. And uh, do you know I remembered another little fact there: the gun that he uses, you know, the classic gun that's used at the end of the movie that is the exact same prop that was used by Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I, I The only trivia I know about that part was the gun barrel was so hot that it burnt uh, Al Pacino's hands. That's true. <laughs> I think I read that on Iron... I was just about to call it the Iron Movie Database. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> Heat was another one too, but I, I, there was something special about a double cassette because it, it always made the thing feel a lot more epic. It was like having a Lord of the Rings books where you have like the big chapters on your shelf and stuff. When you have like the big fat mm. VHS with multiple tapes, it was like, this is a special film. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, obviously the Godfather trilogy was another one that was double cassettes. When you talk about that, uh, that idea of going to the store and being able to sort of pick and choose from all these sort of classic films, I think that's why I'm very nostalgic for when I was like becoming a movie nerd in high school mm. because we just had all of this classic cinema to choose from and we got to watch all the best movies and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that is a really sort of special time when you exist in real time and then you start to realize, oh shit, like there's only like two good movies a year, like if that, like that really touch you, you know? Mm. But you know, when you start getting into movies and you just get to go in the same week, I'm watching for the first time Scarface, Blade Runner, fucking two 2001 Clockwork Orange you know what I mean and it's just like what a week you know <laughs> like I just saw all these fucking amazing movies that changed my life but meanwhile they're all separated by like a decade and also you you have to think about the fact that those movies are in that golden period of cinema which was you know at that time when we were watching those movies for the first time they had only come out in the previous 20 years and then prior to that cinema was still not quite anywhere near that benchmark level that it got to when it got to kind of like the 70s when you had people like Scorsese and it was like oh this is a different type of storytelling you know this is a lot more real this isn't like golden age Hollywood with the chiseled jaw actors and the over the top stereotypes and things cinema became a lot more entertaining in a different way you know we were very lucky actually yeah, I'm trying to think what old movies are, like, some of my favorites. I appreciate old things. Like, I mean, I love, um, I like old uh, Charlie Chaplin shorts and Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. Like, I do actually find those entertaining now, and I used to watch those when I was a kid. I like the old James Bond movies. Yeah. They're cheesy, but I, I, I enjoy them. I like, uh, 2001 is, like, one of my favorite films. Yeah. I love 2001. That's 69, I think. I mean, maybe this is sacrilege to say, but I've just, I've never been huge into like the 40s era and like the the film noirs and Mm. stuff. I just don't get into those movies. Like I know that they're beloved and stuff, but I just find that type of acting. Same as like when you watch cartoons from like the 70s and stuff where like the voice actors are still acting like they're in a radio play. Like it's a style that I don't resonate with. Yeah. You know, like I appreciate it for the historical aspect of it, but I just don't, I can't get into it. It's just indicative of a time period that we just, 
we're not a part of. We can't relate to that. It's so far out of reach as well. At the time, you imagine if you were to see those movies at the time, you know, like movies like Spartacus or The Ten Commandments, and those were like, at that time, big budget movies. And imagine seeing those movies for the first time and being in awe of it. But then you fast forward all those years later, and it's just like, they just look so dated. Yeah, it's tough. I think it's just it's like the acting style more than anything. For some reason, it doesn't affect me with the Charlie Chaplins and the silent ones, but I think that's because they're not really talking, but it's mostly just wacky like facial expressions. Mm -hmm. I think you nailed it on the head. It has that sort of radio sort of vibe, the melodrama associated with those movies as well. Oh, George! You know, that stuff. (laughs) It's just just complete melodrama. But then I guess, you know, conversely, uh, you know, myself and Linda, we watched the whole Nine Yards movie just last week. You know, the movie with Bruce Willis, Matthew Perry. Mm. That movie came out exactly 20 years ago. And when we were watching it, I remember saying to her, you know, God, this this movie looks so dated. Just all those little camera angles, styles and cutscenes and everything about it and the music. It's a little bit like I remember when the first time I watched Fight Club and the first time I watched Fight Club, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then I watched that not so long ago and I remember thinking, this movie looks really dated. It's tough because if you do trendy things or sometimes even if you innovate because I think Fight Club had some pretty like sort of innovative like camera techniques but then if something's so cool it ends up getting borrowed Mm -hmm. and then saturated like the Matrix with the fucking bullet time and stuff when you go back and watch the first even though I still think the first Matrix movie is really good but like when you go back and watch it you remember like oh shit like the bullet time in the first Matrix movie is kind of choppy looking you know what I mean like it's not even really that smooth Mm. and it became a cliche obviously because like everyone made fun of the Matrix and stuff and so sometimes it's tough when like you're pushing new ground or like George Lucas right yeah he wants to have a fully animated character and it's Jar Jar Binks and like (laughs) that's a huge innovation technologically but then now it's cheap 1998 CGI that doesn't look good and sucks so it's a weird thing because in striving for innovation it makes it almost more dated than just watching the old Star Wars movies yeah I I can definitely agree with that I also think it probably comes back to another element as well we were talking earlier on about you know you love that warm sound of 80s music whereas when we got to the 90s and the Eurodance music it started to sound that kind of like brittle cold digital sounding way and it, it didn't have the same warmth that happened in cinema as well the, the medium that they were filming on I forget the, like, the standards and the terms for it um, and I think that's why a lot of those old movies have aged well like Scarface it's not just the acting itself it's it's the warmth of the, the actual film that was used to actually capture the picture yeah 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 no definitely like film makes a huge difference and like they still haven't mastered it with the with the digital stuff like the, the resolution is there but there's something about the way it all looks but um look I want to listen to more music first man and then we'll keep talking about film because mm. this is a this, that's my tease for everybody uh, I want to listen to this track this is um by VHS ST and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club. There's Blake Peterson, Ken Giroux, and uh, we'll do a little shout out to Ashley Keegan with the 2049, who has also started her uh, Forged in Neon website. So go check that out, Forged in Neon. And uh, now check this out. This is VHS OST with Portrait of a Serial Killer. 
And that was Portrait of a Serial Killer by VHS OST. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, there's Andy's Laugh with the 20, Rachel Buchelman with a 1985, and Murat with a 1984. And I am back here today. Michael Oakley is co-hosting with me. And um, maybe after the next song, we'll go catch up with Julian because it's been a few months since I've talked to him. And he's got a high five, five awesome tracks for you to listen to. And uh, mm. that's that. Anyway, I'm talking to Michael Oakley now, though, because he's a cool guy. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> There's your woo. It's probably the, I, I think that's probably going to be the last woo of the, the evening. I'm going to edit it so that uh, you always say it, even if you stop now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like that thing on the keyboard. Woo, woo, woo. Woo, woo. Oh, that's right. Um, I remember uh, we had a keyboard. I don't remember the brand, and you know when you'd go like instrument uh, ninety nine was like the sample bank one, mm-hmm. and sometimes the keyboards would come preloaded with sample banks, just like you're saying, like just like mm-hmm. yeah, 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 you know, like different things. <laughs> and I remember this one, the sound sample was, and I can't find it anywhere. It was a wooga 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 big bag, a big bag, a wooga 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 big bag. That's what happened when you held the key down. <laughs> I can't find it. I don't know what to type in. It sounded like the voice was saying wooga 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 big bag i don't know what that is uh, i've tried typing that into google obviously i don't get what i want mm-hmm. and it frustrates me because it was the weirdest you know whenever you press those sample buttons they're always stupid especially like sometimes it's like a countdown or you know it'll be like a deep guy's voice going party or whatever oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> But this fucking big bag one, I, th- I was just like, is this even a thing? Like, I don't know what this is. Like, this must have been like some programmer's joke before the fucking keyboards went to be built or whatever. Like, the guy put that in as like the last thing before he quit. It's almost like James Brown samples, isn't it? It's like, because there was a period where samples of him like shouting and grunting was like popular. I mean, it's around like Scatman time, I guess. So maybe this was someone thinking uh, like, this I is- love that song. No, it's a great, Scatman's a great song. <laughs> It is. Can we play that next in the show? No. <laughs> Please. I'm a scatman. No, Scatman's got enough fucking... Uh, he's got enough play, man. This show is about supporting people who uh, need... Um, what's the word when you talk into a, a megaphone? Amplification. No. What am I doing with this show? What am I... <laughs> I just, I just, I've forgotten the mission statement. I, I don't know, but if the Scatman can do it, so can you. Well, then that's all I needed. Fuck <laughs> Apparently he has more songs I've only ever heard that one I I find that hard to believe He died about 20 years ago Did he? Yeah I thought this guy man was still alive No he died like about 6 years after that song came out What? Hold on Yeah I'm sure he had lung cancer Hold on Scat man I'll make sure not to do an image search Years active 76 to 99 Illness and death Oh, I, love, I love that it's like years active. I assume to mean that means like years while he was a musician, but uh, mm-hmm. they mean literally active. Yeah, you're right. So 99. Yeah. Well, it says discography. Scatman's were, uh, no, John Larkin, 1986. Then he didn't make anything till 1995. Scatman's World. Then in 1996, <laughs> Everybody Jam. And then in 1999, Take Your Time. And then something called Listen to the Scatman. And that was in 2001, released posthumously. So they there you go. There you go, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just brought everything down there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That's what I do on this show. We have a nice, pleasant conversation. Then it's like, let's talk about a beloved person who's dead. Is he beloved? He's beloved. People love that song. It's a feel-good song. Oh, yeah. It's a feel-good song. Absolutely. There's certain songs in the world, like um, Take On Me. That's one that I think mm-hmm. is just universally, like, it's just a feel-good thing. When it's on, I think you could solve wars with that song. Like, just drive into the battlefield and just fucking play Take On Me on, like, giant speakers. And then <laughs> yeah. it'll be like a scene in a movie where one just, like, drops their guns and then just runs and hugs and cries and stuff. Like in the uh, the scene in the Michael Jackson Beat It video where they are, they, they pull a knife in each other but then they start dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's about right. When I was a kid, I think I saw the Weird Al version of his song more. Like, I remember, like, the Eat It. I used to love that video yeah. when Weird Al, like, gets all fat and uh, that was a good video. It's a great video. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> 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 All right, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to a track, and then I'm going to go do the high five with Julian, and then I'm going to keep, uh, and then, but you're going to wait here while I do that, and then I'm going to join you again, or, or you're going to join me, or whatever the hell is going on here. Uh, I want to listen to this one. This is uh, Let's Talk from the album I Can't Sleep But I Can Dream. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $15 Club. There's Prophet of Jupiter, Six Mill, Gus Velichek, Hampus ML, and Chatterack. And uh, this is Let's Talk with Fall featuring Lorena. You tell me Feel 
that was Fall by Let's Talk, featuring Lorena. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Pattern Shift, Mads Baron Christensen, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Celia Lane. Now look, I'm here right now with Michael Oakley, but he's going to sit tight, and we are going to do the high five with Neon Fox. Do you want to say something before I go to that? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I actually wasn't expecting that. There you go. Mission complete. <laughs> I did pre-warn you that there was going to be a woo that you weren't going to expect. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for a high five with Neon Fox, a.k.a. Julian. How's it going, man? I'm doing all right, Andy. How about you? Great. <laughs> yeah, I see you growing a Neon Fox uh, goatee. I am. Yes, the Van Dyke. You can uh, <laughs> check out my picture on uh, Instagram. I-, I went on a website that was uh, detailing different facial hair for men and like the different head shapes and stuff. It was a funny little website. Yeah, so this is a proper Van Dyke. Yeah. Because it's uh, the whole front, which is basically just the, the guy Fox. If I trim it a bit more and then just keep the soul patch, then it's more of a like Doc Holiday style thing. You know, that's also compliant with uh, COVID masks. Is it? There, there's a website you can go to. Yeah, CDC has a little funny diagram site where you, it shows all the different facial hair styles and which ones are good for face masks and which ones aren't. Because technically a face mask, you're supposed to have a good seal. Mm. So yeah, the, the Van Dyke or aka the, the Fox, it fits within the mask so it doesn't break the seal. Nice. I wonder though, because like the edges of my mustache, I've, I've curled them, but I don't have any mustache wax right now. So I'm just, I have to just sort of keep doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. That's the sound of me tightening the corners of my mustache. <laughs> do, you, do you find yourself chew, chewing on them? Not the mustache part, but the, the under my lip part. I find myself like that part. I just keep like I can't stop playing with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. God damn it. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't stop playing with it, Julian. So <laughs> this year is sucks. And I... Um, Originally, you know, the the plan was that we were going to do, like, an episode of Beyond Synth, and then there was going to be a live show, and that's where we did the high five, and um, I'm in a place with very slow internet, and so I cannot do the live show, which is why we haven't uh, heard from Julian in a while, so that's what we're doing right now. All right. Just in case anyone was confused. We're back on the air. Yeah, man. Well, you've you've still been doing shows with uh, with Dennis, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still been doing the the state of synth with Dennis over on Night Ride, and uh, yeah, once in a while, I'll if I'm up for it, I'll do a little DJ set like midnight or one a.m. if I'm still awake. So you've been busy, but you're still working, right? You are a working man. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm one of the uh, fortunate or unfortunate few that gets to work from home. I'm I'm in IT, and uh, and unfortunately for me, I one of the things I'm responsible for is the remote access systems at work. So you can imagine how busy I've been with all these new users getting sent home to do remote access. It's been a challenge. Wait, so it's you mean you're in charge <laughs> of the remote access? Yeah, the systems that allow them to get in from home. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, so you got all these newbies. Oh man, why can't I connect to my? Why can't I print? Oh no. Oh god. Yeah, we, we've got various ways of people getting in. They, they, you either send them home with a uh, work laptop, which is pre-configured to do it, or you send them instructions on how to get in via a web page. 
and they can remote to one of their systems inside. Well, this sounds really upsetting. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you know what? I, I'm working from home myself, so I don't know. I don't mind it. I, I do miss stepping outside once in a while and showering, but, eh, you know, it's not so bad. You wake up, get out, get out of bed, you walk five feet, and you're at work. Wait a second. Is your shower outside? No, no. It's just I keep well, forgetting to use it. Oh no, because he said, he said I miss going outside and showering. Is what you said. So oh no, no. Sorry, no. I'm, uh, <laughs> I mean, I miss going outside and I see taking sorry. showers. I combine those two thoughts. <laughs> well, look, listen. You're here because we're doing a high five, and you've got five tracks for us. So why don't we yes, kick I this do. off and you play me some music? Well, let's kick this off with a really great track from a really good album, Dead Life producer out of the uk dropped a uh, new album called city of eternal rain on new retrowave records so uh, this song is called collapse is imminent
and that was Collapse is Imminent by Dead Life. And you know what? Because we're doing a high five today, I thought I would thank all the the patrons in the $5 club because uh, you guys are awesome and uh, and I don't thank you guys enough. So uh, we'll uh, we'll do a little shout out to Zen Frazier. I guess he's the king of the $5 club here. And then there's Tim Brawl and Tatsuya Miwa, Tron Javolta. Now is it Rama Branch or Rama Branch? Rama. Rama? Have I, I... I've probably already been told this. Rama. I'm gonna say Rama, but then it might be Rama. <laughs> anyway, and also Jared Dobbs, thank you all for supporting the show. And I am back here with Julian, a.k.a. Neon Fox. Woohoo! Yeah. So, Andy, mm-hmm. you've been you've been bear grillising it again? I don't know what that means. Living, living out in the boondocks? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, you're living out... <laughs> amongst the trees and stuff aren't you you know what it is when i see the the name bear grills because i've never really known who that is i always assume first that it's some sort of chef because <laughs> of the grills i think so every time i hear like like bear grills i'm like oh is it, it seems like a guy who like cooks steaks on like the learning network or something <laughs> Maybe cooking steaks out in the wilderness. Yeah, so I am. Yes, I am. Uh, You're uh, kicking it old school in the in the rural areas. I am. Telephone internet. It's been the one, like we were saying before we started recording, or like I was saying, I, uh, yeah, like for, for my mental health, it's been good to be here. But uh, the one drawback, of course, is the internet speed. It's the one thing I miss because I just see all these people streaming and, and, and I mean, I'm able to tune in to uh, a lot of the cool live shows that have been happening um, where people are performing and stuff, but it makes me... I'm frustrated because I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, not perform music, but I mean, you know, like I want to do real Beyond Synth streaming shows on Twitch and stuff, and I I just can't. I mean, when I stream on Instagram, it's all fucking pixelated and shit. I mean, like my internet can barely handle that. Heck, even a lot of the artists are, are suffering that as well, even when they do a stream. But hey, eh, it's a new paradigm. I know. I, I feel like I might even. Not that I ever wanted to get involved in like politics or anything, but I think if I end up spending more time here, at some point, I'm going to have to be one of those people who like brings an issue to council or something. Like I've never been one of those people, Yeah. but I feel like if no one's going to do it, I might have to be the guy who's like, all right, man, we got to like get high speed internet out here, man. Like, because Mm -hmm. if we're all going to be working from like, if a lot of people are going to be working from home from now on, and we're starting to see that maybe like the quote unquote new normal is going to be a lot more teleconferencing meetings and stuff like that, then people need high speed internet. Like they just need it as a, as a, um, like an essential service yeah. especially when we do all our banking and shopping online and shit i mean like it's pretty much become a like a human basic human right to have high-speed internet i think so like i mean it's pretty unfair that it's like oh i can't like access my bank account without the internet and if you don't have the internet it's like well okay like <laughs> that's fucked <laughs> so i don't know man i mean i know people are all excited about 5g um but I sort of had this misunderstanding about 5G because I thought, oh, you know, we could just get a, a 5G tower in the middle of a field and it'll suck up fast internet and send it to all the people in town, right? That's all we need. But then it was like, no, they still need to be connected with fiber cables. Yeah. So 
that was the big problem was just like they're never going to run cables to where I live because it's all just these small communities of like you know like 10 people yeah. and it's like I don't think it's going to be worth it for any cable or telecommunications company to run cable out here because it's probably going to cost them like you know millions of dollars to run the cable mm-hmm. you know like hundreds of kilometers to all these little tiny communities and then they get like 10 clients out of it unless they can do some Wi-Fi option of it yeah or satellite internet I guess I don't know I don't know man but anyway I guess I'm going to turn into one of those fucking and go to council and be like, I'd like to propose an initiative to get a uh, high-speed uh, line put in uh, on the main street and, uh, you know. <laughs> so says Andy. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'll just become the fucking mayor. There you go. Dude, when you live in a small town, it's like anybody who comes mayor, it's always for some personal interest. Oh, of course. Like, no one's doing it out of the, oh, it's my civic duty. People become mayor. Maybe this is why everyone does anything in politics. Of course not. (laughs) No, it's always just like, oh, and it turns out that their brother owns a fucking construction company and they needed a permit to build in that one section. And it's like, oh, of course, that's, you know. Yep. (laughs) So maybe Mm -hmm. I'll become the mayor because I want high-speed internet. Do it. You can call it Beyondville. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's the thing. When I always used to play Sim City and always call all my places Andy Town, and I always just thought, "Fuck, I want to become the mayor with the initiative of calling this place Andy Town." Andy Town. <laughs> anyway, look, we just talked for too long. Yeah, let's play a song. Well, out of Hungary, Quixotic has dropped his uh, latest album, Forgotten Gems Volume One, with a Volume Two coming uh, later this month. So I've picked a song off this one. It's called Apology.
right, and that was Apology by Quixotic, Julian's second pick this week, and that was a cool track. It was uh, brought to you by my awesome patrons in the $5 Club. They're standing, John Walkow, Techno Ben, Eurobeat Intensifies, Simon Henley Willis, and then this one, I feel like, okay, Rack, Bart Moss, or Rach, <laughs> Rack, Rach, Every time I read the five dollar patrons, it has a spell. R A C H E. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah. I say Rach. 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 All right, Rach. I've, you know what? We've probably even had this exact conversation because I feel like I've done the five dollar patrons during the high five before, and I always have the same problems with the people's <laughs> names. Probably. I always feel bad too. It's people like fucking support the show, and I can't even say their fucking name. Anyway, thank you for your support. <laughs> is the bottom line. All right, so... Yes, thank you. Thank you. So, since you and I really haven't uh, had too much of a discussion, I think you... We were all... We did Heartbeat Heroes yep. show the other day, but there were so many people there, it was... Um, I didn't really have any sort of one-on-one yep, experience yep. with everybody. But, uh, so, what what have you been doing? Oof, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Basically, just working, you know, the little Sinti things on the side and uh, working. Once in a while, I'll... I'll step out and I'll go run in to do grocery shopping for my aunt and uncle or myself. And uh, I've been tuning into all the streams. As you said, there's almost every weekend, there's either some virtual festival, synthwave festival going on, or some artists are streaming, such as the Keeper from Magic Sword doing his Friday night things. And uh, yeah, and uh, I guess Ollie Ride's been doing his Saturday afternoon things. Sometimes it's it's you got to make a choice which stream do you tune into. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, yeah, last weekend there was all those guys playing, and then Ollie did his set in the middle. Yep. And then I was sort of tuned in on YouTube, and I'm like, where the fuck am I supposed to be uh, <laughs> watching here? <laughs> yeah, every, every weekend. But hey, it's great. The one thing I loved, and it was it was a cheesy thing that made me smile. I brought it up on the show before, but Damocles with the audience noises. Oh, he you know what? He he was awesome. His setup, his audience noises. <laughs> That was the Retro Reverb Records uh, stream a couple of weekends ago. It's fun to see everyone perform, but I think I love when people sort of... Because um, Damocles is a goof, and so like I, I like when people have fun with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been saying all along that people should add some crowd cheering and applause to their streams because it's just dead silence when they're done a, a performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because sometimes ideas like that on paper are like, oh, this is cheesy or it's not going to work. Like... I've struggled with that concept as well when I do like the real Beyond Synth shows because I mean we set it up like a talk show mm-hmm. and so I, I have had that talk with Mike where I'm like we should have dubbed in crowd laughter sounds like as, as a joke and I think the only way Mike, yeah. Mike brought up a good point I think the only way to do it properly is kind of what Damocles did you have to do it live you have to trigger them live yeah yeah. because if I, if I edit the show and then dub the laughs in afterwards it's not the same thing it's a real subtle difference but it's like if I have a soundboard where as I'm recording with people I I choose what audience sounds I want to hear and I do them live yeah, I think it's, it's the timing it's it's the punctuation it's the yes. timing that'll be funnier too and also to be able to trigger booze so like if I have someone on and I just keep on triggering booze for them but like laughs for me <laughs> like then that that becomes sort of the joke and I think with uh, with what Damocles did triggering the crowd sounds like as he's finishing and stuff it it just worked I thought it was great and it made me laugh like the first one I was just oh, like yeah. to start laughing I'm like that is awesome it, it what also blew my mind like well Damocles really knocked it out of the park his performance but later later that evening uh, Zenith Volt from Hawaii 
from his car. God, he so he's signed with uh, Aztec Records, aka Lau and uh, Nina. He's he was uh, he did his little set from inside his car, and he, he's got a, he had a synth set up in there, and he's got one of those digital recorders, as in you know, like you blow into it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh yeah, it was it was really you know he's got gear in the back of his car and everything. Oh, it was pretty incredible. It's it's fun seeing. So one of the bummers about this COVID thing is you know we miss out on the live performances. But now you're getting to see you get to see the, the real faces of a lot of artists that you would normally not see at live venues. Yeah, yeah, no, I guess that's true. So yeah. there's an upside to this. Yeah. Well, hopefully, like I mean, I would like to see more of these things, and I think it's also a good way for people to get a bit of practice, maybe before. Oh yeah. You know, like if they're like unseasoned uh, a live artists, you know, to do a little thing on the uh, mm-hmm. on the internet before they they do like their first live show or something like that might help. Speaking of, like this past Saturday, um, it was the Neon Retrofest stream, and uh, actually gives me a segue into the next song. Nice. One of the performers was Neon Knox. Cool. So uh, yeah, from his from his new album, Last Stand, out on New Retrowave Records. This song he did in collaboration with Power Nerd. It's called The Stash.
Alright, and that was Neon Knox with the track The Stash featuring Power Nerd. That was Julian's third pick this week on the High Five, and I would like to thank my awesome $5 patrons. There's Arcade Eyes, Jean-Christophe Leconte, Chest Press Magoo, Chris Mendes, Kevin Taylor, Robocock, Bogdan <laughs> Crevo, and William <laughs> Dalfin. Thank you all for uh, supporting Beyond Synth in the $5 Club. And I'm back here with Julian doing a high five. Hey, yep. Talking about streams, sitting at home doing nothing. You'd think I'd have more time to be getting back into some gaming and such, but nope. You know what? Synthwave is consuming everything. Yeah. If I'm not working, then I'm I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or uh, prepping for one of our State of Synth shows. Yeah, that's the thing that I find hilarious is, well, just the prep, because like with you and uh, Dennis on State of Synth, mm-hmm. and I remember the one episode I did, and you guys like sent me the outline of the show, <laughs> and then I go on, do Heartbeat Heroes thing, and then he sends this big, long script, Yep, and I'm starting to think, like, am I doing something wrong? Because like I... <laughs> I like I do all these shows with nothing. Like, I, uh, you know what? You know, because generally, like when we're live, we need the script to sort of keep us on point. Because otherwise, we can go off. Like half the time, we go off rambling, and the script gets chewed up while we're doing a live show. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's good for both of us to have the script there, so that when we're doing a live show, we can remember. Oh yeah, you know what? We've we really should start wrapping this up. So where where were we? No, it seems like something I could use. What you're saying about having a script is like a good idea because there's times where, you know, where I record the first half of the show with just me and then I'll end up going on like a 12-minute rant and I'm like, why'd I do that? Because like no one wants to like, you know, it should just be nice short little segments and then a song and then a segment and then a song and then all of a sudden I'll get worked up about something and talk for 12 minutes and then I have to find a way to edit it down, like <laughs> take like eight minutes out of it and it's just like a waste of time. Yep, yep. To tell you the truth like having a script it's only good if there's someone else talking because normally when you're the one talking you don't have time to be looking through a script usually that's that's when someone else is talking and that's when i go looking through a script yeah i find when i have a script if i'm tempted to read it then i just will end up sounding like i'm reading yeah yeah but whatever look we you do you <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> you do you i'll, I'll do, do me. me and you do you yeah <laughs> All right. How about how about a song? Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Meteor, artist out of Columbia, dropped a new album called System Failure, and one of my favorite tracks off it is called The Uprising.
And that was The Uprising by Meteor. And that was Julian's fourth pick this week on the High Five. And uh, that was brought to you by my awesome $5 patrons. There's Anders Enger Jensen, Betadine, Luke Jackson, The Axel Effect, Watch Out for Snakes, Christian Micklebust, Mr. Ected, and Josh Riley. You guys are awesome. And uh, I'm back here with with Julian. Mm-hmm. I was happy because they... Uh, they released a trailer for, um, they added this expansion for the Mortal Kombat game. Now, to be honest with you, I haven't really yep. played Mortal Kombat 11 since I beat the story, but they've put friendships back in the game. Those are the, the opposite of fatalities, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, because originally the friendships were simple, but they were funny. But that was back when, like, you know, Mortal Kombat fatalities, even though, like, everyone, you know, the media and stuff complained about the violence in the game, it's pretty tame and silly in the old games. Yeah. But I think that Mortal Kombat really benefited from having that sense of humor. You know, it's like anything. It's like when I was watching Breaking Bad before they introduced Saul Goodman's character. Yep. The show was really serious and, like, it had funny moments, but it didn't have, like, a character who was there, like, for the purposes of, like, just levity, you know? Like, yep. Yeah. There was funny bits of dialogue and stuff, but I remember it was pretty. It was a pretty sort of intense show. Yeah, the first season was had some humor, right? But then they got really, really serious until, they, like you said, they brought in Saul. Like, I mean, sometimes you know, like some comedy relief can be annoying, but I think in certain instances, if you have like a show that's really serious and really intense, it is nice to just have a bit of levity. Yeah. And I so I remember I remember liking the show a lot more once Saul Goodman was there. Not that like I needed him to be there all the time, but it was just fun to have like oh like there's a funny character in this world and it's not all always like kind of dour and and depressing and stuff and i think with the new mortal kombat game like the fatalities are just so gross now that i feel like i would rather do the friendships yeah because they're funny like kano's he like opens up a barbecue and like he shoots it with his laser and cooks the sausages and then he's just like (laughs) sitting there like flipping the things and stuff and like lately with the story like the story modes are funny because they take them seriously but they're still b-movie quality so like it's Mm -hmm. Yep. It's they're taking it serious, but you can still appreciate it like a cheesy B movie. But it really needed that sort of that that humor. So, in a weird way, the friendships is what makes me want to go back and play the game. Speaking of speaking of games, uh, lately a whole bunch of games of re- like retro synthwave style games have dropped. Outland Recordings provided music to an iOS game called Retro Drive that uh, has been released, and uh, Master Boot Record is involved with this game Virtuoverse, which is like one of those old Lucasfilm point-and-click type adventures, but it's all cyberpunk. Yeah, that's one I wanted to play that for sure, because when he was on the show, he was talking about it because it wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely one I wanted to play. But that's another thing, too, where I was just like, I really, I told him, like, I'm when I was chatting, I was like, man, I really want to stream and play it when it comes out, you know, and then it's here, and I mean, I guess I could play it. Yeah, it's uh, up on Steam, and I think you can actually get a free torrent of it too. Because you know, <laughs> he, he likes he he likes that whole like hacker stuff. But uh, yeah, and uh, what else? Street Cleaner's got a game out as well. Wait, no, is that out or is it? Uh... I th- I don't know if it's. I think it's out. I think it's out. Oh, because I thought he was getting people to do the thing where you have to like like it on Steam before it's released. Isn't that what he was doing? Oh, okay. I could, hey man, I could be wrong. I, I, I could literally message him right now and solve this problem, but I'm... <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, let us know. But I'm not going to. 
<laughs> yeah, man. I, yeah, these definitely all these things I want to play. Like I was mentioning on the show last week, just some of the ones I picked up because I mean I'm still only like a few levels into Streets of Rage Four, and um, mm-hmm. there's this game Ion Fury I want to pick up. I mean it's been out for a computer for like over a year, but it's essentially it's like a new game made with the the Doom Duke Nukem engine. Okay, yeah. Like but sort of like an updated version of it, so it so it looks like those games retro. Yeah, and it's supposed to be really good. I've been following it for a while, but I remember there was like some controversy because they had some offensive humor in there and mm. some people got upset or something but I, that's probably been removed for the uh, the console version it was something it was something so stupid it was like there was a bottle of shampoo in a bathroom and it said oh gay it's like it's making fun of Olay <laughs> but people got upset because it's gay you know and yeah so it's like it's not I mean All right. in, in the grand scheme of things with people fucking uh, contracting a deadly virus and <laughs> yeah. stuff I think uh, a bottle of O-Gay in a video game isn't really a big deal but <laughs> hey man that's just me that's just me <laughs> anyway what do you <laughs> what's your what's your pick of the week alright pick of the week last song uh, it's from a UK artist called Mantis dropped an album called Miami Nights and this is the title track off that album Miami Nights
And that was Miami Nights by Mantus. I always want to say Mantus just because it's M-A-N-T-U-S. Mantus. That was uh, Julian's pick of the week, and that was a cool song, and uh, that that was the pick, man, of the high five. And I'm thanking all my my awesome $5 patrons. Well, there's Chris Williams and Andrew Tukas, Sven Bomanis, Joey and Kendra, City Bat, Binkley, Star Nomad, Tim Ross, Rob Dyson, Damian Rudies, and Neon Knox. Hey, Neon Knox, we played his track. How about that? Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, we can wind down the high five. So what's in store for you? Nothing much. Uh, well, I'm, I guess I'm doing a uh, State of Synth show this week on Night Ride. But uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Other than that, I'm going to be watching TV, working, sleeping, watching TV. And if I remember, a shower. Yes, outside. <laughs> yeah, right on my balcony. Yeah, that'll be nice. Using Ogay yeah, shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's a good brand, man. Makes you feel good. There you go. That's the bottom line. So look, you have uh, you have a lovely, I was going to say a lovely week, but I'll say you have a lovely period of time until I uh, speak with you next. Yeah, there we go. It was good talking to you, and thanks for the, the tunes, mm-hmm. and uh, people should go and... Uh, if they need more tunes in their brains, they can go to Night Ride FM and check out The State of Synth. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Andy. All right, and that was the high five with Neon Fox. And uh, we were thanking all the $5 donors, and I still have more because I didn't uh, organize that properly. So a nice shout-out to the rest of my $5 donors. Christopher Albert, Marco Cranendonk, Daniel Dexius, Timothy Pierce, Starlight Fisher, Dana Jean Phoenix, Simon Norberg, Stu M., Roman, Lee McConnell, and Kai. Oh, man, I gotta make... I gotta talk about the stupid fucking Patreon tax thing. Ah, Christ. Look, um, how about this? Let's listen to a track, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue chatting with... Michael Oakley. Indeed. So here's one from Boytronic, which I liked. It's from their album, uh, The Robot Treatment. And uh, hey, this uh, this song's brought to you by uh, Dennis LaFunk. Go check out Dennis LaFunk on SoundCloud. He makes cool mixes uh, that you should uh, listen to. It's uh, He has a little show he does called Disco Fusion, just uh, cool mixes. So if you need something to listen to, and I know you do, go check out Dennis LaFunk. Anyways, this is a track from Boytronic. Boy. Boytronic. This is You Can't Get Fooled by Love.
And that was You Can't Get Fooled by Love by Boytronic. And uh, and that's a cool track. And I'm still here. Uh, we're going to play a few more songs. And I've been joined all show by my uh, my lovely co-host this week, Michael Oakley. Mm. And uh, there he is, just sitting there. Hanging tight. Yeah, man. So we just did the high five with Julian. I hadn't talked to him in a few months. Mm. So speaking of which then, what have you, uh, how have you been handling uh homestay i have just been busy with music stuff to be honest with you uh, you know obviously i appreciate there's a sort of anxiety about the whole situation which of course you know every time i leave the house there's that concern it's like oh you know i'll just make sure i keep across the street it's funny because you notice people do that awkward thing you know when you walk past and you sort of say hello and you smile but you definitely feel that sort of like keep away from me you walking disease but hi have a nice day yeah. sort of like vibe about it but no I've just been keeping busy making music I've, I've been the most creative I think I've been all year I've just dived right into just getting stuff together I've been really really inspired well that's good to hear man I've, I've been not as productive as I would have liked we're here I could be doing so much stuff. My internet sucks, which means I should technically be focusing on uh, getting projects finished, but I'm, I don't know. I was literally thinking I was going to be really even if not prolific, I thought I was going to be putting out more shows. Mm. I was like, oh, like I'm going to put out like two episodes a week and they're all going to have like ten guests on each one and, and all of a sudden I just find like shit like I, I keep falling behind and like releasing the episodes like a day late and stuff and um, mm. I'm happy that you are being productive though. That's good. I've definitely enjoyed having Linda at home. You know, that's that's the other thing. Obviously, she's not working at the moment. We've, we've been housebound. It's nice having people around you where you're just sitting and doing your own thing whereas sometimes if I'm in by myself you can feel the loneliness if that makes sense I like to have people around and I also like to be alone like have my space mm -hmm. but I always like to have that choice of being able to like I enjoyed having roommates in college and stuff I always liked that there was always some activity going on and then at any time since they were roommates and not family you just get to walk away yeah now it was annoying because roommates always fucking left dishes around and like they were messy and stuff but I always liked that idea of just having people around and so like you do your own thing you're you're in your room and doing whatever and then you can just come out to the main room and there's like hey some guys like yeah. having some beers and you like just you know have a fun chat or whatever I do really feel for people right now like if they are alone you know like if they're just hanging out in their apartment by themselves and stuff I know that's gotta be really fucking tough yeah I know even I I'm really missing people I mean, I've got my family here, and so, like, I don't feel, like, completely cut off from the world, but I definitely miss hanging out with people, and uh, everyone's going to get a, a big hug whenever we see each other again. It's a very strange time because we're all going through it. You know how when, like, there's some tragedy in the world, like, say there's, like, a hurricane, and it's like, oh, that happened, you know, in Australia or somewhere, or there's a tsunami, and it's like, oh, that's terrible, that happened to that particular part of the world. It's, it's localized, whereas this is a global thing thing where there's not one person who's not having the same experience and nobody has a previous experience of a, of a point of reference to be able to say oh you know 10-15 years ago I went through something similar nobody's went through something similar it's like we're all going through this new experience and sort of finding out you know who we are in relation to it it's quite tough you know nobody can sort of really guide us through it we're sort of just having to find our own normal within 
this craziness. Yeah, that's it's fun watching people's different haircuts. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's something I'm discovering on Instagram and stuff. I've given myself a ridiculous mustache, so now I've got a, a, a Van Dyke, the guy Fox. Yeah. I think I'm going to fucking rock this for a while. I thought my wife was going to make me shave it off, but she's actually uh, wants me to keep it, so I'm going to keep it the fucking thing. You should dye your hair blonde, peroxide blonde. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'll do the old Colonel Sanders. I'll dye my mustache and fucking beard blonde, too. <laughs> the old Colonel Sanders. KFC's open, isn't it? I'm sure, like, isn't all those, um, like, fast food places are open? I live, right now, I'm in a small town, so any fast food place is still, like, a half-hour drive from here, and, like, uh, I haven't, actually haven't had fast food in a while. That's the one positive, I guess. I'm I'm probably eating healthier by virtue that I am eating less mm. and it, also less junk. Because yeah, I miss fucking Wendy's, dude. <laughs> I love Wendy's. I'm an I'm an E and W guy. <laughs> yeah, the Mama Burger, the Teen Burger. What do you like? I like the Teen Teen Burger. Yeah, Teen Burger with cheese. Yeah, we get the meal. It's just it's so satisfying. You know? <laughs> The mama one's good sometimes as well. I'm never in the mood for that one. Mm. It depends what mood you're in. Are you going to have normal fries or are you going to have sweet potato fries? It depends what day. The sky's the limit. I love all these the, the different... The sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I want to listen to another track and then we'll um, keep talking. This is one from Zenin uh, off the album Miami Cop. And this is kind of a long track, but it's uh, it's cool. It sort of tells a story, you know, uh, which I dig. So uh, we're going to listen to it and you're going to dig it too, man. This is The Raid by Zenin.
And that was Zenon with the track The Raid. And, uh, and that's a cool song. It's from the album Miami Cop. And I'm, uh, I'm here right now. Michael Oakley has been uh, joining me all show as a co-host. And uh, he's making new music. He's feeling productive. He's staying at home with his wife. She hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. That's good. Have you been uh, playing any games? The last game I played was Resident Evil 3 remake that was amazing that was that was a lot of fun it was it was just a little short i felt but we've been watching a lot of stuff on netflix i don't know if you've been watching the last dance michael jordan no i hear people talk about it i'm not really a sports guy i'm, I'm told it's still good even if you're not but uh... i like it but i've never like watched a game of basketball but just you know even knowing the kind of huge icon that michael jordan was it, it, it kind of appealed to me to hear that whole story of him and the chicago Bulls successful period so it's definitely something you should watch it's it's fantastic it's really really great to watch what other things have we been watching we were watching Nashville we started watching a program called The Wire I don't know if you've ever seen that it's one of those shows that's like on the list of like the shows you're supposed to watch mm-hmm. and I know it'll be good and I think I watched the first one but I've been told that it's one of those shows that you have to like stick with it and then it then you get hooked because I wasn't really hooked by the first one but yeah I always sort of let them have the first episode as a kind of write off because you're sort of you're getting to know the characters you're getting to sort of immerse yourself in that world and there's very few shows that have grabbed me from the first episode it's usually the second episode that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to really sort of get into this now. I'm trying to think now in my head, what show was I actually grabbed by the first episode and then the rest of it also turned out to be good? Because, like, Lost... I think Lost has an amazing first episode. Oh, yeah, that's definitely. But that show, you know, didn't end well, but, like, it starts great. Like, that two-hour premiere is a fucking fantastic piece of TV. Game of Thrones, even though Game of Thrones didn't end well, but Game of Thrones took me, like, four or five episodes just to understand who the fuck everybody was. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, okay, this show's intriguing enough. Like, it's a high-budget fantasy show. Like, that was enough for me to be like, okay. But it still took me a while. It took me until Daenerys' brother got the fucking gold poured on his head and then that was the one where I'm like oh shit like they kill main characters in this show like this show is fucking cool like 24 I thought the first episode of 24 was good 24 was brilliant that first season was total game changer uh, you know I remember watching that for the first time and feeling like this has never been done before this is um, a completely new fast paced way of watching television and I like it because it was just you you were literally flung in at the deep end uh, I don't know did you have like the, the DVD box set of 24 Yes. It's funny because like literally last week on the show, I had the Baldo caster on and we ended I ended up talking about 24 with him. I apologize to the audience because you heard me say this exact same thing last episode. But season one of Beyond Synth, I st- or Beyond Synth, season one of <laughs> season one of 24, I still think is like one of the best just seasons of TV. Like it just I like the tone of the first season. I like that it was a thriller. Mm-hmm. I just thought that Kiefer Sutherland gave like his best performance in the first season, like just the emotion of it. And it was really raw and and uh exciting yeah and what i didn't like was in the following seasons how it became an action show and it became more and more unbelievable with every season like the first one yes it's got its moments of like you know where you're like oh i don't know about that like believability wise but it was still pretty down to earth the following seasons when there's he's jumping out of planes and nuclear bombs and 
he literally dies in season two and gets like his heart resuscitated and then he's just like mm-hmm. back to kicking people's asses like 10 minutes later like there were moments from the first three seasons I like mm-hmm. like season two has great episodes and moments and so does season three but for me as a whole unit season one is my favorite yeah season one I think there's a lot of things about it it's obviously great storytelling and great action and unexpected twists and turns that you just were not expecting but it's also the time when it came out I mean that that show came out in the year 2001 I'm sure. Yep. You know, you think, what else was there really on television at that point that was anywhere near? I mean, that that revolutionised, I think, television and changed the way that television shows were presented, I think, just that that kind of format. It did get very formulaic, like badly formulaic to the point where you you knew there was someone that was in, you know, that was the mole that was going to be exposed as as the traitor every fucking season. Anytime I start to sense patterns in movies or TV or like even writers you know like or if you have directors you like but they always do a thing Mm -hmm. after a while I start to go oh okay and season one of 24 was so fresh and exciting and then season two I remember there's a moment because I still really I love the show so much that I watched it like through season two season three season four like I was still like I love 24 but then as the seasons went on I started to feel like okay maybe I don't like this as much and I remember like season four was the one where I started to like not care if I missed an episode you know my favorite seasons were season four and then five for me was the best one the one where Charles somebody was president and there was the whole who killed David Palmer storyline that whole storyline was incredible and I loved the guy who was the president that actor I I remember one scene and it's funny because I don't really ever remember like a lot of scenes from from TV shows especially 24 there's very few things that I remember about it because it was a while ago but I do remember the one moment and the present guy Charles Logan and it was just this one scene I remember he was the corrupt guy he was the corrupt president who was doing all this bad shit and he knew that he was about to be caught and there's a little moment where you see him and it was like this close up he's sitting at his desk in the dark and he opens up this box pulls out his presidential gun and cleans it and then he's he puts the gun up to his head and he's just about to kill himself because he knows he's he's gonna he's gonna get caught and then the phone rings and it's basically like his vice president to tell him that some good news has came through and he, he basically has this and puts the gun down it's like it was just great acting that whole season I remember that's the one that started where they shoot the president right off the bat right like David Palmer yeah. is like in his room and then that's right. when, when 24 first started I remember thinking that first season was so special and unique that season 2 was just going to be a completely different thing like I thought like mm-hmm. oh I, this is what 24 is going to be it's going to be this show where we have a Hollywood actor come in who's maybe career is like not at its height they do one season of the show in some unique storyline and move on like I didn't even think Kiefer Sutherland would stay I was like mm-hmm. thinking season two of 24 would be like someone like Kevin Bacon you know what I mean and then it's a season of 24 where he's the lead and maybe it's all about firefighters or something for 24 hours you know what I mean mm-hmm. but then the second season two started and it was like oh it's CTU again it really surprised me because I was like oh like they had this such this unique thing and now it's just a show and then fucking Tony became the boss mm-hmm. and then Mason leaves and there's this moment where he's the new boss and I'm like oh this is a fucking just a TV show now where like people get fired and leave and then other ones come in and then every season the villain character pops in for three episodes and leaves like it just became a show at that point that's what upset me because I just felt like the first one was just this 
this special thing and if it ended after season one and just became that DVD set that people shared and it was like a cult show yeah. where it was just oh yeah you, you never seen 24 and like you'd you know you'd lend people the DVD and stuff and I almost think that that would have been better yeah and even if they had left it for a few years and then came back and did another season and then you had likes of season four and then season five storylines and that formed maybe like a three season arc over a period of six seven years sporadically you know that would have been a lot more satisfying I think in the end but I don't know, you know just remember there see the best first season of a television show that I've ever seen was uh, hold on how about I play a song and then we hear what Michael Oakley's favorite first season of a show is okay that's my tease for the audience All right. so let's listen to this track this is by Tom Selica and uh, this track is called Turbo Life featuring Emily Songs
And that was Turbo Life by Tom Selica featuring Emily Songs. And that's a cool track. And uh, that was brought to you by all the awesome people, my Patreon supporters and PayPals, who make this show possible. So thank you all very much. I know I teased that there was something happening with Patreon. Basically, I, I put out a message on the Patreon main page and in my Discord and on Twitter as well. At the start of July, Patreon is going to start charging tax for a few more regions. I know my European patrons probably are already paying uh, the value-added tax, the VAT. Maybe some other people are already uh, paying tax. So I'm just letting you guys know that that's a change that's coming to Patreon. I am trying to mitigate it somewhat. I'm going to see if I can. So don't be surprised if something happens where it's like, you know, you're donating 10 bucks and all of a sudden it's like the charge comes to like $11.10 or something. Like that's what's happening. It's happening in July. So uh, if you have any more questions about that, you can just uh, message me and uh, let me know. Anyways, we're going to wind the show down, but I'm still here with Michael Oakley. Indeed. Michael Oakley is going to tell us his favourite first season of a show. The best first season of a television show that I have ever seen was without a doubt Prison Break. Prison Break that first season, the whole story arc of a guy who gets himself put into prison in order to get in and help his brother who's innocent break out of prison was just incredible it was just everything about it it was just so fast paced and intelligent writing like whenever I think of the best first season of a show I always think of Prison Break I've never seen a second of Prison Break wow Prison Break's a great TV show it kind of fell off the rails probably about season 3 season 4 but season 1 and 2 are incredible like they're must watch TV shows um, a bit like The Shield because The Shield's another one of this The Shield is my second favourite TV show of all time I've never seen The Shield either Mm. Mm. Great show. Does Prison Break have an ending? Yeah, they uh, they revisited it just a few years ago. I think they they did like a, a comeback follow up thing um, in the end, ten years later. Which was I've not seen it. I have no intention of seeing it. But was that required? Like, did did it get cancelled in like season three and it never had like an ending? Or no, I just think they milked it. Okay. Like most of these things, like 24, they milk it because there's there's too much money involved in it, you know? And it, it just becomes a little bit bastardized, I, I call it. You know, it gets adulterated into something where the original intention of, of the show, the integrity of that, gets compromised in favor of ratings and network show money ratings, you know? It's a tricky thing because there's things I like about TV, but it's a weird medium because it's like, I love having characters you like go on further adventures. It's why I like sequels to movies, like the the concept of sequels. You know, when you like a character and you actually get to see them go on a different adventure? It, I've always loved that. I just find that TV, there's some weird formula, some magical formula, and very few shows in the universe ever get it right where they end at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Like, that's the toughest part about television. Like, all of my favorite shows, pretty much, they all kind of end... Even the good ones kind of fizzle out, you know what I mean? Where you're like, you know, if this ended last season, this probably would have been better. And I can never tell if it's just the melancholy of the show is over. Sometimes that might be the effect, too. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever, like, watched the final episode of a show and it's fine, but you you have this weird emptiness when it's done? And it's hard to know whether, like, was the finale bad or am I just sad that this is done? Oh, I definitely think it's the sad when it's done effect. Because, um, you know, you, these characters become people that are involved in your life you know you you get used to them being there and you get to know these characters and you get to see 
like an inner private world of these people and then there comes a point where the story ends and then they are taken out of your life you know you no longer get to watch any more of the episodes and it's there is a bit of a withdrawal from that lost was that for me i i felt really sad after lost finished because i hadn't i had really enjoyed getting to know all these characters and all these characters flaws and the human side of them because they were all deeply flawed people in lost and that was why they get put together so when that show ended you know you're like ah oh, i'm never going to i'm never going to see john Locke again or you know jack shepherd and you're just like that's it that's that's the story over yeah and I agree with you like even though I was disappointed by the last few seasons of Lost like the finale was like an effective emotional conclusion for the characters but I think they dropped the ball on the story that was the thing that was keeping me interested you know towards the end they were like they were trying to tie some of the loose ends up but they were doing it in such an unexciting way you know like in the early seasons every time there was a revelation it was a big deal and they'd play those like orchestral horns noises and like you know the episode would end and then in season six you know characters were being told the answers and like throwaway dialogue as they were just like walking through the island and i was just i was really hoping to be left with an interesting twist when the show ended you know because that was the magic of lost was the discussions with your friends about what it means and if i was making that show you know i would have left the show with some lingering questions or asked some new ones you know leave you something to think about and discuss years after the show uh you know but instead season six didn't really do that you know like it had a twist but that twist was just for season six you know people acted like it was a big deal that the characters were like in some purgatory or whatever and oh they were dead the whole time and i was like no they weren't dead the whole time you know they were dead for season six this wasn't a twist for the whole show just season six and like Mm. i wish lost had a final twist that sort of reverberated back into the history of the show you know that made you rethink the whole thing because instead you know some of the resolutions were just so straightforward Mm -hmm. And I think that's what robbed the finale of Lost. It sort of robbed it of that magic, mm. you know, because it was like, here's some of the answers. Yeah, yeah, the island is magic and everybody's in heaven, you know, the end. Yeah. And, and like the magic of Lost was having those discussions, yeah. you know, like, what is that three-toed statue? You know, like, what the fuck is going on? What does it mean? <laughs> and I just wish the finale kept that going yeah. and promoted the discussion to continue. But, you know, when it was over, I wasn't interested in speculating or talking about it anymore. Well, I think as well, you know, you have to weigh in the whole network. They had a success show. Lost wasn't only supposed to be, you know, a three-season show, and it gets stretched out to six seasons. There has to be some compromise on the integrity of the show. If, if something's originally intended to be a certain way, uh, and then because of the success of the show that you then milk it into double what it should be, then you do lose the integrity of the of the show and um, I mean I, I didn't mind the ending of Lost I, I found I guess I probably looked at it as you know you don't get all the answers in life so therefore I don't expect to get all the answers at the end of the TV show but I get what you mean though I would definitely agree it's not something I've pondered on I've not went back and thought it's not made me rethink the whole show in, in the way that I would have liked it to. And that's the sad part, because talking about Lost was just as fun as watching it. You know, like it sucks because it started so strong. Oh, yeah. You know, but then just like 24, you know, when I started to notice, you know, the pattern of that show, around partway through season three of Lost, I started to feel that the producers didn't know what was going on and that they were stretching stuff out. And mm-hmm. But, you know, but as an audience, it depends what you're there for. You know, if you're mostly interested in the characters, and I'm sure it was more enjoyable. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, since I'm like a details-oriented sci-fi nerd, my interest is in the plot. You know, like I love great characters, but I also want the story that they're part of to make sense and be satisfying as well. Yeah. And for me, the thing that kept me coming back week after week was, what the fuck is this island? You know, <laughs> what is that smoke monster? Why does it sound like a chain when it's pulling people in? You know, is it a robot? Are they in the future? Yeah. And around that time, you know, I worked in a bank and I had co-workers that watched Lost too, but they weren't as interested in that stuff as I was, you know? So when we talk about the show, they were concerned about whether Kate was going to go hook up with Jack or Sawyer, and I'm like that's what you care about? Like, there's literally this fucking magical, like, science fiction island mystery, and you're worried about who's going to fuck each other? Like, you can get that experience on any other TV show, you know, but there's only one that features some weird science fiction mystery island, you know? Like, if all you care about is people fucking each other, like, I can I can suggest some good websites for you. <laughs> <laughs> but look, we gotta wrap this up because it's a. This is what happens every time we end up talking about Lost or Twenty Fourth, and the show ends up going long. But look, just before uh, we were getting ready to record, Magnavolt sent me a track, and so uh, we're gonna debut it now. And I know it's weird to debut a song at the end, but uh, who cares? Um, so we're gonna check out uh, this tune, and then uh, we'll say goodbye to, to Michael Oakley, who's been uh, joining us. And now uh, here's a debut of a track. This tune is called "Slave to Love." by Magnavolt featuring Fichi.
And that was Magnavolt with the track Slave to Love featuring Fichi, a last-minute song debut. So that's exciting. And uh, we're back here with Michael Oakley, who has been co-hosting with me and uh, and what we're just talking about, Lost, and the, the fun conversations we used to have with our friends about the show. I definitely remember around about that time having those types of conversations as well. You know, that you're right. That was the thing which made the show really interesting, the fact that you would go away and you'd, like, talk to your friends like, ah, oh, did you see last night's episode? And it's like, say, what is that statue all about? You know, like, is that John Walker? Is that, like, something's not right with him? Is Jinky is, you know, Jacob's brother? You know, that sort of thing? Yeah, that sucked. I fucking hated that storyline, by the way. I'll just say that now. Because John Locke was an <laughs> awesome character. Yeah. And when it was revealed that he actually was fucking dead for, like, fucking two seasons and he was in the coffin, it was like, fuck you. Uh-huh. Like, come on. Like, because they already had to get rid of Echo and Echo was awesome. And then, like, uh, anyway, sorry. This is. <laughs> yeah. We got to go. Yes. This is what happens when you end up talking about these shows. But I, I want to um, say thanks for joining me for this show. And it was lovely to catch up with you and see how you were doing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, people should go check out uh, the single. Mm-hmm. Your new single is out. So this is going to be part of uh, an album at some point? I'm working on it. I'm working on it right now. There's a few things in the works. But I'm, yeah, I'm full steam ahead at the moment working on this new album I feel like I've got a really clear direction about what I'm trying to do with it now which is always more than half the battle with that you know you you have to sort of know what direction you're going in whereas I've spent a good half a year probably experimenting and I've got a folder full of demos that just there's some nice ideas but they're not what I want to say and I feel like now I know what I want to say so yeah you can expect a, a new album at some point next year cool man but in the meantime of course people can go uh, where is the is it just on your band camp the uh, the single it's uh, on Bandcamp uh, through New Retrowave, Spotify, available now on all available retailers and <laughs> streaming sites. Excellent, that sounds great. I like. Uh, well, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, Michael. It's great to hear from you. So, everybody, the song is Queen of Hearts. It's by Michael Oakley. It also features Ollie uh, uh, Ride and Mecca Mako. And it's a real good time. We listened to it earlier in the show, and you can pick it up at newretrowave.bandcamp.com. Woo! <laughs> You weren't expecting that, were you? (laughs) And on that note... (laughs) Yeah. All right. Take care, dude. Thanks for joining the show. And for everybody else out there, tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. All right. Cool. We did it. So... Woo! Stay... Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth, or you can donate directly on beyondsynth.com. Beyond Synth can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And remember to like and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. Until next time...